Good morning and welcome to Talk of the Towns here on WERU. We try to go beyond the headlines to make sense of the issues facing Maine communities, to share what works, to seek alternative solutions. Talk of the Towns began in 1993 with support from University of Maine Cooperative Extension. Cooperative Extension puts knowledge to work with the people of Maine, and like WERU, whose mission is to be a voice of many voices, operates out of a sense that everyone benefits when we share our knowledge, our experience, our concerns, and our perspectives. We're about to practice the magic of community radio, in which those of us in the studio and you who are listening create a dialogue we hope will be of benefit to our friends, our neighbors, and colleagues. I hope you'll stay with us for the next hour and talk of the towns. Well, this morning, we're not going to create quite much of a dialogue with our listeners because this is a recorded interview with Scott Planting. Uh, Scott, you've just recently stepped down from Maine Seacoast Mission um, after about a decade, I guess. Um, remind us of the work of the mission and what attracted you to that position. Thank you, Ron. I, I do appreciate the opportunity to, to speak with you this morning. Um, the Maine Seacoast Mission... Uh, since 1905, our work has been to build healthier and stronger local communities and to support families and individuals living uh, on islands um, in Down East Maine and in, in coastal communities. Um, we do that through our, our wonderful boat, the iconic Sunbeam. Um, which we've been running a, we've been running a boat since 1905. This is Sunbeam number five, and before that we had a sailboat, the Hope. Um, and our work has always been rooted in a profound sense of trust and respect for the people we serve. We work very closely with the communities of people we serve. Um, we work very hard to design programs that uh, have few barriers for participation. Uh, we have a, um, an after-school program in uh, Washington County. And, and for instance, we bus the kids home after school. The only way to have a program for kids is to offer busing. Mm -hmm. uh, we have a food pantry in Cherryfield, and we have a new program called um, Sunbeam on Wheels, which is especially for older people who can't get to the food pantry, so we go to them. Uh, what's interesting about the Sunbeam on Wheels is it's not a matter of just bringing a box of food and dropping it at somebody's door. It always involves a two-hour conversation where people come in, sit down, have a cup of coffee and talk. The talk, the visiting is as important, I think, as, as, as the food is. Our territory ranges to the west from the outer islands, from the Cranberries to Matinicus and Monhegan. And this morning as we speak, the sunbeam is out on uh, Matinicus. And to the east, to coastal communities in Hancock and Washington County. Uh, great places like Cherryfield, Harrington, Winter Harbor, Millbridge, Machias. Um, what, what I have really, what I've loved about my, my work at, at the mission is what we started over a century ago and what we do now, it's basically the same work. The ways we do it, uh, for instance, on the boat, we've always provided health care and nursing to islands. And now we have a telemedicine system that connects people um, digitally, connects them, an islander, with, with their doctor. Uh, but it's still, it's always been that very close concern for, um, um, for, 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 for people. What, what's, what's attracted me to the mission is that we build on people's strengths. 
and we honor the capacity of individuals to choose their own course in life. We don't look at people as sort of a bundle of needs, sort of a well of needs that we have to fill. We look at people's strengths and their assets, and we try to build upon those. It's a very different, different approach. That reminds me of uh, John McKnight's work on, on asset-based community development, which I offer to my students in a College of Atlantic class, and, and that notion of starting with the assets rather than the needs is a profound different approach. Um, one of the people who had a great influence on me uh, was Marion Kane from the Maine Community Foundation. And Marion brought uh, John McKnight and Jody Kretzman to Western Maine for like weeks. I got, these became my friends. Mm -hmm. And sort of the stories they told about their work in Chicago uh, was the same work that we could do in, in Western Maine. And I always remember Marion was so good in terms of grants from the Community Foundation. It was always about building upon assets on people. What are their strengths? How are you going to build on their strengths? Never people who are just buckets of needs that had, which really kind of cut you apart from people. Mm. Um, Tell me a little bit about the origins of and who, who started the, the mission. I think there's some wonderful stories there um, that, that uh, probably teach us something about today's world as well. Um, two brothers, Alexander and Angus MacDonald, uh, both congregational ministers. Um, Angus was the minister uh, of the Congregational Church in Bar Harbor, and his brother Alexander was in Seal Harbor. Um, they began their work in 1905, uh, and they knew the islands intimately. They were sailors, so they knew these places. They had visited them. Um, at that point in time, there were 300 year-round island communities. That's so interesting to me, 300 island communities. There were farming and fishing communities. There were lighthouse and rescue stations. Um, and they also reached to the down east coastal peninsulas, which were really pretty much islands. There was no other way to get. Way to, so they had this. They had an expansive vision uh, of reaching out to all of these communities. Um, the mission has a, has a great archive, and we literally have all of the written documents, all the stories of these. Uh, we have all their logs of, of, of traveling, and they they came up with this uh, very interesting system where as they were in, in one of the sunbeams and as they were going by an island, they would either have a flag or some sort of a light to say, we need you to stop, otherwise we're going on to the next place. Yeah. Um, uh, but, but, but again, they, they, they talked about uh, traveling a week to the east, uh, which was to Jonesport and Magias, or a week to the west, which was all the way uh, to uh, Kittery. So the scope of the mission, this, this always, it's just wonderful to me, is from Kittery to Quaddy Head. Mm -hmm. And that's how they expressed it, that entire coast. That was, that was their, their, their mission. Um, at the, their first boat was, was a sailboat to Slope, the Hope, which, uh, Sloop the Hope, which just, that didn't work out. That was hard to do for territory that big. Uh, they were given a couple of summer yachts who really that didn't function so well in the wintertime. And then they went to the series of boats, the sunbeams that were built for the purpose. And again, from the very beginning, their work was they built schools, they built churches, they built health care centers, they brought nurses, doctors, dentists. Sort of, and again, it was a learning from the people on the islands. They didn't say, well, this is what you need and we're going to bring it to you. It was from a knowledge, a pretty intimate knowledge of people's lives. Mm -hmm. So there was always this really close, close connection. Uh, it's interesting, Ron. Um, so that they begin at, at, at in the turn of the 20th century, and at the same time, uh, Dr. Wilfred, Wilfred Grenfell was organizing the Grenfell Mission in action in, in the 1890s in Newfoundland and Labrador. 
And, and, and it, it, it feels, as you go back and you read the records, these people had an expansive vision of work. So a doctor would travel from Great Britain and, and travel up and down the coast setting up hospitals. He literally operated like the first hospital ships. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that was kind of in the McDonald brothers' minds. We're going to do a big thing along the coast of Maine. And I, I, I've always really, really ap- appreciated that. What do you suppose was in their, their training or their um, religious outlook? Did you glean anything in those writings about what motivated them to have that big vision? Well, you know, it was the period of, of, of the social gospel. And, and that social gospel didn't make, sort of, it didn't differentiate between uh, the physical and the spiritual. You were whole people. And so they really built upon a, 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 a theological tradition of not, well, we're, we, we are church people, so we're going to deal with their souls or their spirits. It was a much more holistic vision of the world in, in, at, at, at that time. And so they always had this sense that, yeah, we're going to build churches. And um, it, it was always very non-denominational, very accepting of everybody. Uh, but we're, we're going we're gonna to look at people as a whole. Um, and and that's, that, that's always gonna be, that was always going to be a, our, our focus. Mm-hmm. So t- that, that continues right down to today. Mm-hmm. I, I, I like that. Tell us a little bit about some of, or tell some stories about um, uh, Will Bethel or the Edge program, or um, you've 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 seen and and helped shape um, the mission in the last decade or so. What are some of the the, the people and the stories that you recall most? Um, let's start with with the Sunbeam, mm-hmm. um, and the, what's been important. The key thing about the Sunbeam is build, building trust and honoring ways of life. Two just very quick stories. I, I was at the Fisherman's Forum um, in Rockland, which just concluded, and it's sort of this wonderful gathering of, you know, it's, I, fishermen always gather, it's in the f- early in March, and it's like they want to, all these men and women want to go fishing, and they've been, it's been winter, and they've been working on their gear, and they're just bursting, ready to go. So it's, 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 it's a very high energy event. Well, a year or so ago, I came out of a meeting and I noticed a poster on the doorway. And then as I looked, the poster was everywhere. And it was a photograph of the sunbeam on the top. And then at the bottom were photographs of the fishermen who had died in the past year. And it was an announcement there was going to be a service honoring these people. And that was so powerful that the sunbeam was the emblem of what these fishermen's lives were all about. That really struck me, mm-hmm. that, that, that the fishing community chose the sunbeam, uh, the picture of the boat off an island, uh, that, that, that this is what we are about. This is what we, we, we're, it's an honoring, it's a way of life that goes back for a very long time. And, and then not too long ago, just around Christmas time, two fishermen showed up, came to my door late one afternoon, and... Um, they, they said, can we talk to you for a minute? And I said, of course. And they said, uh, one of our sternmen has drowned. And we want to have a service. Or we, 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 we want to do something for him. And could we have it here at the mission house? Mm-hmm. And I said, of course, of course. Um, and then there was this long pause. And I recognized that long pause, which means, and Scott, would you do the service, please? <laughs> And they said, you know, and they're always like, we don't want to trouble you. There's not going to be many people. It's not going to be a... And I said, of course, of course, I'd be honored to. 
And I, I, I spent some time with them and their friends hearing the story of this man's life. And he had had a hard, hard life. And that Thursday afternoon, I'll never forget, when they, and they thought, it's just going to be a handful. Fifty fishermen and their families showed up. The place was packed. And what was clear to me in all of that um, was they came, they wanted to honor their friend, and they wanted to connect their friend's life with something bigger. And that meant the mission, they knew the mission and our history of honoring the coast would, would, would you didn't have to say words about it, you, they just knew that the mission would honor what their life and their world was all about. And, and in my language, they wanted to honor their friend before God. He had had a troubled life, and, and they wanted to give his life some meaning and purpose. And also, as, as, as I realized, um, uh, they also, they, there was also a sense that there was, theirs was a way of life that was troubled and passing away, and they were worried about everything that they valued going away. So they, it was a very significant, uh, really one of the most powerful events um, that um, I, I in, in, in my tenure at the mission, uh, it was all so clear. So, you know, at the uh, Fisherman's Forum, um, that, that image of the sunbeam with, with the fisherman who had died at, at, at this funeral, it was funny, when I, when I got home, my wife Marcia said, Scott, um, you, 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 you smell like uh, uh, a cigarette, beer, and dead fish. And I said, that's exactly, that's exactly where I've been. And it was great. And, and again, that, that the mission kind of holds all of those things. Mm -hmm. And uh, they're really, really very, very valuable. So this notion that um, th these, these fishermen and their families and their, their colleagues, really, um, were, were uh, grieving not only a loss of a life, but the possible loss of a, a livelihood. Um, and yet many of the programs that you work on uh, as, as part of the mission down east is really looking at, at the future and the future young people. Um, what's, what, for you, what's that connection? Um, for... I've been at this for 45 years, both as a minister in Western Maine in the last decade here along the coast. And the thread that runs throughout um, is the diminishment, the destruction of small rural communities, economies, and cultures. That's just the thread that runs right through all of it. And all that the mission does is about renewal of these communities. That's the one thing we do, and we do it on islands. That's the common thread between the islands and the coast. So when we have a program like EDGE, which is a, an after-school program that has 700 kids, it's a great program. And that's all about strengthening these children to say, uh, you know, the message they get is your communities are of no value, you're not of much value, you're kind of a backwater. And the message is leave. And so the whole point of EDGE is, is to work with these kids and to say you're great, your communities are great, your families are great, there's look at what's all around you. You know, the staff we hire for EDGE are all local. We don't bring people in from away. Uh, they're all local people who often have gone through the program. Uh, so everything we, we do um, is uh, our scholarship program. Um, again, we want to strengthen children, but the message is, well, 
here, get a scholarship, go to college, and don't ever come back again. We want kids to come back. Um, uh, so everything we do, the, the Downey's campus that provides direct services, like with the food pantry, the Meals on Wheels, um, the center of that is building a community. We, we, one of the things I'm proud of is we just completed a community center, Wheel Bethel, beautiful place. Every Sunday, and we've been doing this for five or six years now, we have, there, there's a dinner called the Table of Plenty. Every Sunday afternoon from three to six, we have 50 to 100 people come, and, and it's this wonderfully diverse community. It's old people, it's young people, it's kids, it's rich people, it's poor people, um, it's people who are just hanging on, the people who are doing just fine. And each Sunday, a different group does the meal, and people just want to stay. People, you know, we, they come, there's always live music, and there's good food, really good food. And people stay and talk. And again, it's a sense of people really like, are really interested in one another. And, and again, I, there's, I have never seen anything that works so well to bring all of these desperate, disparate people together. Mm. So again, all of our work is really about rebuilding these communities. It's the, uh, the food pantry. Many, many people, and actually the numbers are going up, are, are in desperate need of food. But for any, everybody who comes to the food pantry, we ask them, well, can you volunteer? Could you come back? Uh, we have, we have a, a, a lobby where people are welcome to come in and sit down. And they have something to eat and they can visit. It's not just come in, get your box of food and get out. Uh, we want to make it a, a community center. So little, everything we are about is sort of trying to build up, um, up, up communities. You're tuned to Community uh, Radio WERU. This is Talk of the Towns. We have a recorded interview um, this morning with Scott Planting. So we're not taking any phone calls this morning, and we're glad to have you with us for this uh, recorded um, interview. Uh, Scott, this notion of social ministry you, you've touched on, um, and, and this, these stories that you're telling, um, most people think of mission as religious. Um, and you've talked about the, uh, the McDonald uh, brothers uh, kind of combining these kinds of things. Um, as you look to the future of this kind of social ministry, um, how do you see it playing out? What, what's, your, what's your sense of the, the bridge between uh, attending to someone's spiritual needs and their social, um, physical needs as well? Well, I, the distinction between physical and spiritual is, I believe, false. And I learned that a long time ago working in Western Maine. We are whole. Um, Wendell Berry, who is, you know, I, there, there are the people who, who have been kind of my touchstones for my entire life. And Wendell Berry has mm -hmm. been one of them. Mm -hmm. um, and, and, and he talks about health, and he says the word health comes from the same root as heal, whole, and holy. And he says to be healthy is literally to be whole. To heal is to make whole. And that, if I can say in a sentence what my ministry has been about, it's that. Mm -hmm. I don't see the separation. In fact, I think the separation between spiritual and physical has caused an incredible world of harm. Because if you're just interested in some, some sort of spiritual reality, it means the physical reality, like the world, is of no value. And you can, if you're just looking at heaven and there's no interest in where we are right now, 
you can, it doesn't matter what you do to it then, mm. which I, I find profoundly unbiblical. <laughs> and just, I have seen that over and over again, that sort of destruction. So my, my whole interest in, in life, because the word religion literally means to put back together, to reconnect. Mm. So that's been the work of the Seacoast Mission. That was the work in, in Western Maine. Uh, it's to put things back together. Uh, so your, your, your question, where is this all going? Um, what's been, I think, for myself, um, my contribution has been to hold on to the value of local communities, cultures, and economies. Mm-hmm. Um, as, as I said a moment ago, from Western Maine to Eastern Maine, you drive through all of these small towns. Uh, you go through, drive through a place like Harrington or Cherryfield, and they have beautiful buildings, the old houses, the old uh, schools and, and churches and granges. Um, there was a strong, there was a vibrant, there was a shipbuilding culture in Cherryfield. Uh, there were blueberries. You know, th- there was this, this round, there was this fullness to life which now as you go through these towns, they're tough places. And um, to use, again, the words of Wendell Berry, um, you know, I, people of goodwill wonder where to look for hope. And so I just keep thinking about the rebuilding of, of rural communities and how you do that. What's so interesting to me is I think one of, you know, it, it's, uh, it, it, it's local, you know, it's a community and a place that are interconnected really closely. And our world has pulled those so far apart where a place doesn't matter at all. And therefore, you can destroy a place. If the place doesn't matter to you, you, know, you have no investment in it. Um, these are places um, where, where people have huge investments in them. Uh, one of the things, one of the fun things in... Um, uh, Cherryfield in Millbridge, there's a whole group of young farmers, sort of very capable people who are purchasing and, and leasing land and farming it. Um, and we, we, we know them, we work with them, we buy their produce. And so like, like in, in, a high, in the local high school, Narragwegas High School, um, we have a farmer's market that these young farmers come with their produce and they talk to the kids. And, and I thought when Wendy Harrington, the woman who, who runs the program, suggested, I said, well, you think high school kids are really going to go for kale and carrots? You know, you really think that? Well, these young farmers are such cool people. They're really cool people that the kids loved them. And so, mm-hmm. so, I, I, so I, we, can just, we can start talking about healthy food. That's, that's a new way. That's, and, and it's food that's grown right down the street here. Mm-hmm. And, and you know the farmer, and, and you know the inputs. Mm-hmm. So that gets people, people thinking. In the food pantry, uh, there's been a huge change. The quality of food that we gave out 10 years ago was not very good, mm-hmm. uh, not healthy. We really work very hard to have very healthy food and to talk to folks mm-hmm. about it. Um, so all along the way... Um, we are trying to think, always have this sense, um, what does it mean to rebuild a local community? Mm. Uh, with our scholarship program, 
you know, when we interview the, the young people, these kids, the first and foremost thing on their mind is not to leave down East Main. They love it. Mm. This is home. Mm. Um, and so we think a lot about, you know, scholarship. You, you can't sort of tie a scholarship and say, we've got to come back. Um, but but, but have them help, help them think, what could their education do when they come back home? How could they bring those gifts? Mm. Um, like the EDGE program, the, the after-school program, we, we do a lot of just sort of um, uh, what, does, what does, sort of to use a big word, governance, what does it mean to be a good citizen in really simple ways? We get kids out, you know, one of the things we, we partner with everybody um, so we work um, with, with, the, with the wonderful uh, Downey Salmon Federation group on um, restoring, cleaning up rivers. And so we get the kids out pulling out tires from the rivers, and, or, or they, they work with small salmon, and they, and they clip fins. And again, it's just a sense that this is a really cool area. Um, you know, with, with the mission, because it, just because of our stories, it's really important that, that we tell kids the stories of what, who used to live in that beautiful house. Might be a little ramshackle now, but who built that? Who had the skills to build that? Mm-hmm. So a long answer, um, there, there's a continuity, um, that things are not cut off, um, that everything we try to do in Washington County is built on history and moving it forward. Mm-hmm. It's not a new story, it's taking the stories and moving them forward. Mm-hmm. What what got you started? What was your call to ministry, um, and 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 what was going on in that period of of uh, American history and and so on? What what uh, called you to the ministry, Scott? Uh, thank you. It's a good question. I'm I'm from the Midwest, and in college um, I got a job working for an agricultural chemical company. Probably not the best thing in the world, this agricultural chemical company. They were selling chemicals. Anyhow, I was a field agent for them. And I'm, I'm, I'm a, I was a suburban St. Louis kid, very suburban. And all of a sudden, I get this job as a field agent where I'm, my, my territory was like Iowa and Wisconsin. I had this huge territory. And my job was to set up field plots with farmers and use the company's chemicals, <laughs> which were herbicides and insecticides, and probably not, and I knew they were sometimes... You hadn't read Wendell Berry yet. Right, right. And I, I remember atrazine, which is a weed killer, it would, it, it would pool and it would kill everything. <laughs> it's just, ooh, that's powerful stuff. Anyhow, so I'm this suburban kid working for this large company, and I'm spending my entire time out on these farms. And I would just, I'd walk up to a farmer who was harrowing or something on a tractor, and I would just stop them. And in most part, they stopped. They were, and I would climb aboard the tractor and try to sell them my little, because they weren't gonna stop for me, you know. So I didn't know any better. Anyhow, and then so I got to know folks, and on, I was there on the weekends, and they would say, well, come have dinner with us. Or on Sunday, come have church with us. Um, and the, the, the distance from my, my suburban community where people didn't know each other and things were very cut off from these rural communities in Iowa and Wisconsin, 
was just mind-blowing to me. I had never experienced neighborliness. That's sort of what got me into Wendell Berry, this, this sense where they would bring me in and, and welcome me. This was, the, this was during, this was in the late 60s, during the Vietnam War. It's tough times, really tough times. Um, but I discovered rural America. I love these communities. I went to college in Western Massachusetts. And I, I noticed um, farms in that area were in precipitous decline. University of Massachusetts was growing, absorbing tremendous amounts of property, and you saw these very threatened communities. So I, I had this wonderful opportunity to spend a year and a half, my last year and a half of college, visiting with farm families. And I, again, next to Wendell Berry, um, James A.G. and Walker Evans' book, Let Us Now Praise Famous Men, was just one of these sort of bolts of lightning. So I got to know these farm families, and I'm still connected. So I, I've had weddings and funerals, and I still I get called back to Hadley, Massachusetts. We even named a daughter Hadley um, uh, all the time. But, but, it, but it, was, it, was this, it was this whole world that I was not used to, that I had no experience of. Um, and so it, it was from there, um, I, I was drawn into this wholeness of life. I saw the connections with faith. Uh, went to seminary and in, in, in the summer of 74, I, had an, I got an internship in Western Maine. I just looked at a bulletin board uh, where they had job postings and they had an internship um, at, at a cooperative parish, which I had no idea what that was, uh, called Mission at the Eastward. And I said, well, Maine would be nice. Uh, let's go to Maine. So I took the job, and I, um, I served three churches in Franklin and Somerset counties. I was part of a cooperative of 12 churches with a great leader in Carl Juries. Um, a little bit later on, I became the administrator of that. Um, and, and, and again, it was, it was this, this whole world opened up to me. I'll never forget um, a funeral that I had. I, I served... I uh, had a church north of Farmington, New Portland, and North New Portland. These, these, these were hard scrabble. The New Portlands were, were, they were great places. The world had changed. And when I was first there, there were wood, there were, there were sawmills, and there were wood turning mills, and there were farms, um, and there was even a railroad not too far away, and all that left. All that left. And I remember um, the funeral of a farmer named Colby Atwood. And um, I remember visiting with his family, and they, they lived on this hilltop in, in New Portland. And we were sitting around the kitchen table, and I was asking questions. They didn't, didn't say much. And I, and I knew there was this world there. But how am I going to unlock this? So I said, let's go for a walk. We went for a walk on the guy's farm. And we got to this hill, and you could look down at New Portland, and, and one of the sons said, you know, there was a sawmill there, uh, there was a wood-turning uh, mill over here, uh, uh, there were farms, and there was a doctor, and there was a little, little hotel, and it had been a full community. It had been a diverse place. Mm. The farm, uh, they had apple orchards, um, they had cows, they had a sugar bush. It was a complex place. People look at these places and say, oh, it must be so boring. It was a very full, complex world. And that was, that was the vision. I always remember, that was like in the late 70s, standing on that hill looking out. And there was, you know, there was, there was a narrow gauge railroad up in Kingfield, wasn't too far away. 
just it was an interesting, complex social place. You know, there were churches and grange halls and all these social organizations. And I watched over the years all of that go. And and what was so what was so hard for me is people viewed this huge loss as their fault, that they were somehow responsible, that if they had worked harder or done something, it was their fault. And I saw increases, you know, you, we talking about poverty is, you know, it went from a world where everybody had a place. I remember uh, one of the farmers, this was in Starks along the Sandy River, there were nine or ten beautiful dairy farms, beautiful places. And I remember, I knew all those farmers, and they were, you know, they were farmers, but they were also, uh, you know, selectmen, and they had all these roles in the community. And you would go there, and for the folks who, who for one reason or another, couldn't find a job, or, or, or they just had some issues or disabilities, they worked on the farm, and they were part of that family. Of that, and they had good work to do. They were important, and they were skilled, and they were proud. Uh, there was this wholeness of life. Um, I remember an old lady, one of, one of the great people I, I, I knew um, in New Portland. Uh, she took in old people at, she, she was like a nursing home, but it was her home. And she also took in uh, often you know, young unwed mothers that needed a place to stay. She was like the social service agency. And she didn't get, they got paid a little bit, but this was her life. And then things, you, you saw things become sort of specialized, where she couldn't do that anymore because she didn't, wasn't licensed to do any of this stuff. So she had, you know, had nursing homes to develop. And as this world changed, um, the place that people had, and there was a place for everybody, and everybody was important, everybody was known, all that dropped out. And I think, from, from my view, poverty is structural, it's not... in. We often want to make it an individual thing if they work harder. Um, but it's a structural thing. It's like just the bottom of the community kind of fell out, and there was just nothing for people to do. Mm -hmm. And you saw the rise in alcoholism, drug use, lostness. Just there was, people were just like, they were like, they were untethered. Mm -hmm. So that's been, that's really been my my whole life. Mm. And I'm just, you know, really grateful to that chemical company for giving me that opportunity. Such a funny thing. We're talking with Scott Planting um, this morning here on Talk of the Towns. Um, no phone calls are being uh, placed uh, this morning as we continue our interview. Uh, Scott, this notion of, of kind of structural poverty, um, it seems to me that your, your time in Western Maine um, allowed you not only to serve those churches um, and those, those uh, families, but to look at the whole community. And I think that's when perhaps you first met uh, Marion Kane, the Maine Community Foundation, and, and you were struggling as I, when I first met you with this notion of what causes poverty and, and what do we do about it? Um, exactly. Um, and, and again, it was just because I, I was there like in the 70s during these transition years when, when there were still a remnant of strong local rural communities. And you saw that all fall apart. Um, so, you know, I, again, my sense of the structural part of it is people blame themselves. They, they always had this, they would talk to me, man, if we worked harder, or if we went to church more, or if we did something more, and I would say to them, it has nothing to do with you. I remember the wood turning mill in New Portland. 
uh, operated by two brothers. One was the business side, one was the mechanical guy who had, and it was a really interesting business. It was wood turning, it was automatic lathes. These brothers had built all these lathes themselves. And they, they got old and they, there was nobody to give it the mill to, and they sold it to China. And I remember visiting them one day and there were these Chinese people there. And they were buying the automatic lathes. And after they left, that, that was a real eye-opener because they could do it cheaper. And, and, and these are folks in these mills who are not getting paid a whole lot of money. It was hard work, but they were devoted to it. One of the brothers said to me, these, these lathes will never make it to China. They're going to figure out how they work. And when they're being shipped, they're going to get dumped in the ocean. But all they want is, is the engineering and how, how to do it. And, and again, that, that was not mill workers' fault. Uh, that was just this, this huge change in the economy. Uh, you, you saw that in the paper mills. I remember the IP strike uh, back in the late 70s or 80s. Devastating. Uh, mill workers, people had been working in mills, in, in paper mills for generations, and there was this real sense of pride. I'm a paper maker. Sure. And these people, they didn't have much education or this or that, but they were paper makers and they were really good at it. All gone. Uh, and so the bottom falls out, uh, and there's nothing like, well, I'm going to go do this now. I remember, you know, working uh, um, in at, at this time when there were these closures going on, uh, companies would say, well, you can relocate to Illinois, and you know, that would be like going to Siberia. You know, the people aren't going to do that. Um, in in um, in Farmington. Uh, we started a computer manufacturing business. This is like in the 80s. And uh, because people were really good with their hands. Um, and, and it was like a transition from like wood to electronics and people were very good. And we built this place up. It had 50 people going. We built a new building. Very excited, it burned down. And we tried to get it going again, and, and we just, we just, we didn't, you know, we couldn't do it. And I'll never remember getting all those 50 people to say, we're going to have to, we're going to have to stop this. You know, people were crying uh, and very upset, but nobody was angry at me. They all said, you tried to do something. You tried to do something. And I, I think uh, that's, over the years, I've had such good support from such strong people, great people, who've always said, just try something. It might fail, but that's okay. Just try to do something. And again, it's part of that sort of that, that, that sense of vision of what might be. Just, you know, it had to be a little imaginative. Just what, what, can, what can we, how can we think about things? So this, this notion of, of trying something um, is, um, about helping people not be victims, but in in fact, um, let's let's try something else. Let's let's um, recognize those assets that we have. People working with their hands for, right. or connectedness to community. Um, so this notion of trying something is is probably part of the human spirit. Yeah, and and again, it's stuff that you had to try things that were connected to their history. You couldn't just bring in something that incredibly new and different. Um, so electronics, where they, they were people were, were um, doing doing soldering and and um, uh, putting 
components on the boards. They they were very good at that, mm. and and they were very you know and they they picked it up, mm-hmm. and but it was again it was part of their their history. Mm-hmm. Um, so everything I think that that we we, we try to do um, like the edge program with the after school programs, the activities that we do with kids. We have like cooking classes, pretty simple thing. But our, our thinking is a lot of these kids are going to go home uh, at five o'clock, and there's probably going to be nobody there, like a brother or a sister. The parents are still working or doing something. So we we try to do cooking classes where rather than popping something in the microwave, they can actually try to cook something. Mm-hmm. It's just simple things. Mm-hmm. Just simple things. And it's this reconnecting from a life that um, feels like it's, it's uh, changed so much that we're divorced from life in some way um, to reconnect with life. Yes, exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and again, everything that, that's been the point to do things locally, um, to value the place, to be rooted in, in a place, to look around, see the history, and how can we, how can we build on, on those things. Mm. So, so, so you've described um, the transition in the uh, 70s and 80s and that um, those transitions probably intensify um, in today's world. Um, we see uh, huge divisions in our, in our political uh, thing, but I'm not sure that we see those same divisions at the local level. Uh, James Fallows and his wife did a, a um, kind of a, a tour of the United States and they said, yes, there's all this going on at the national level, but when we get to the community, um, those divisions don't seem to make quite so much difference. Is that your finding as well? Um, yeah. My, my, I, that's a, it's a really good question. I think there need to be opportunities, like the simple thing, like this table of plenty dinner, where people can come together. We're still pretty isolated. Mm. Um, it's just so interesting. Like here on MDI... Uh, Washington County isn't very far away, mm-hmm. and people don't have much of a knowledge of what Washington County is, other than, uh, again, people when people view the when they, what they hear about Washington County is wasteland. It's terrible. There's nothing good there, and so you know, part of my my job has been to be a bridge builder to bring people from here on MDI over there, mm-hmm. you know, like to volunteer or do something or go to one of the school programs. And they say, or to meet the kids in the scholarship program, we interview all the kids. They say, these are great people. These are great people. Uh, we had no idea. Um, so it's not a hard thing. It's not rocket science. It's just to provide those opportunities where different people doing different things can come together at a common place. Um, so that's fun mm-hmm. it, it, for both sides. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. People have stereo, stereotypes on 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 on, on both, both both sides. Mm-hmm. So when you can, so we we work really hard at the mission to bring people together, to get people out on the boat, to get them to the islands, mm-hmm. to see that these are just not sort of romantic, fun, quaint places. These are hardworking places. Mm-hmm. To get them to Washington County, that people these are all just not not everybody is just sort of living on welfare somewhere. But these are hard work. People, people really struggle, you know, struggling, but they're trying to figure out their, 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 their future. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, that's been a big part of my life. And, and again, just to re- return a bit, this, this national divide that we see um, politically, um, do you, does that translate down at the local level as, as well? Or, or do people um, you know, roll up their sleeves and get something done? 
again, th this history of trust that the mission has, if we ask people to do something, they'll do it because they trust us, mm. that we're not going to hurt them. We're not going to bring them in, into a, to a difficult place. Mm. So again, everything we, we try to do is, is to get people to see one another, um, to value their, 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 their place, um, to have uh, this, this sense of, of wholeness, mm. which is for many people a very foreign thing, mm. that there's a lot of good in, the, in, the, in these places. Mm. So that, that wholeness um, translates in, in lots of different ways. We, we've talked about some of those. Um, when when uh, we spoke oh, perhaps a, a month or so ago as you were anticipating this change in, in life, um, you were a little bit worried, I think, um, and, and people were, were suggesting, oh, uh, you're going to go retire and you're going to do something, you know, you're going to go sit on a beach somewhere. What's been that process like uh, for, for you to contemplate a next stage of life and, and uh, what conversations have you had with, with yourself and um, with your spouse? And what's been that, that, that been like? Uh, it's, it's, a, it's a good question, and I've learned a lot. It's just so funny. Everybody says, oh, congratulations, like you can travel now. People, and people assume it's all going to be just great. You don't have to work anymore. Uh, as somebody who's worked for 45 years, it's, it's, it's a transition. Um, a, a dear friend said, think of yourself as on a trapeze. And you're, you're in the air, and you're swinging on a trapeze, and that's sort of been your life. And as a trapeze, there's going to be another bar that's going to be coming to you. And what you have to do is you've got to let go, you have to twist and grab the new bar, and then go forward. And the person said to me, in that middle, that twisting, take it easy, go slow. Don't do it immediately because you'll end up just in the same old world where you've always been. So I, I'm in, in kind of, I haven't quite let go of the bar yet, mm -hmm. but I'm just sort of thinking about what it's going to be to twist. Mm -hmm. And uh, what, what I, I look forward to is having times, I really want to explore um, communities in Down East Maine. I've been so busy. I, you know, I, I go to Cherryfield. I'm there for two hours and I got to get back to the next thing. I'd like to go to Cherryfield and just hang out for a while mm. or, the, or the coast and just get to know these, these communities. So I'm, I'm, it's almost, this is like a sabbatical time now where I want to just pause, not going to commit to anything, but just sort of look around. Mm. Um, I am very grateful, Ron. Um, you know, I'm in good health. I have some energy. I have some experience. I, you know, what I, what I will do, I'm getting close to 70. In the next stage, is not going to be what I did when I'm 30 or 40. It's going to be different. And I gotta, that's hard, but I've got to acknowledge that. Um, but I, I'm very grateful uh, that I have some time and some opportunities and some real privilege to be able to do, to do things. So mm -hmm. I, I, I've never been to Grand Lake Stream. I love to fly fish. And... Uh, <laughs> But I'm not going to be discovered a fisherman rest of the month. But I want to go to Grand Lake Stream this spring and fish, or wet a line, as they say. I just there were those things I've 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 not done. And again, you, I think you've alluded to it. But um, any suggestions for those folks who are um, still at at the at the, the the main job of their life and and how they think about these kinds of transitions? You've you've described it very well. And when you're in the moment, um, did did you um, think about this for a long time? This this uh, change. Um, you'd been at the mission for ten years. Did you think about it for a while before you made a decision? Um, yeah, um, I. 
I'm one who believes in limits. And that's sort of there's this wonderful passage um, in the 90th Psalm, one of the things I've sort of lived by that, that talks about acknowledging our limits and gaining wisdom. That you just can't, you gotta let, gotta stop, let somebody else do something and just trust. Uh, one, one, of my, one of my favorite stories about the Seacoast Mission is when I started, uh, we had this wonderful, wonderful woman, Marianne Barnacle, who was our archivist, this great, great woman. And she, she brought down this uh, calligraphied list of all of the mission superintendents since the McDonald's. And their names were beautifully calligraphied with their dates. And then my name at the bottom was in pencil with no dates. <laughs> and I always, and she was this very dignified lady, but, and she says to me, Scott, don't screw it up. <laughs> so when I retired, I was presented a calligraphy list with my name, with my dates on it, and the message was, he didn't screw it up. <laughs> so I think that's, that, that's real success to me, to have my name with really great people, really great people. I think of Neil Balsfield, who did this for 30 years. And you know, they, they were out on the boat for weeks at a time. And, and they were extraordinary. They were smart. They were good writers. Um, so it's been a really, you know, to have my name on that list is, is a big deal for me. I'm, I'm very honored by that. So. You said that you've uh, spent some um, time uh, conversing with Robin Alden. Uh, um, now the, the organization that she founded is now called the Maine Center for Coastal Fisheries. Um, what are those conversations? And she has stepped back from her active life, ready for the next phase. Um, she probably hasn't mm -hmm. decided a lot of that, but what has been that conversation like? Well, I met Robin um, through the Down East uh, Nonprofit Network, a group of leaders and nonprofits that Ron, that you uh, facilitate, which, which has been great. Uh, as I look back, that's one of, one of the most important things. Uh, and you ask the question about what, what lessons do you have? That's one of the lessons. Get to know people who are doing kinds of work you do and, and really important. But I, Robin, I heard early on, she had this vision called Fishing Forever for Down East Maine. And it was about the restoration of fisheries in small coastal communities. And um, she, you know, she made the connection uh, between uh, uh, cod and what, what's the fish? River herring. And herring that go back and forth. And her husband, Ted Ames, who was this, this MacArthur genius ward, made this, figured out how these, these, these distinct places where were herring and, and cod came together. And, and when rivers, when, these, when the herring didn't go up the rivers anymore, it destroyed that fishery. And again, so she has this very powerful, it's a real Wendell Berry vision and I remember her talking about when she was very young, meeting a, a, a clammer who looked out at the mud and said, good mud, not good mud. Mm -hmm. And she said, just looks like mud to me. Mm -hmm. and, and again, there was, this, there was that, that knowledge. And, and, and that, that vision for Down East Maine has been really powerful to me. And, and I think as, as a leader in a community, that's what we have to give to local, is that vision that's rooted in something people know. It wasn't a vision about 
you know, we're going to build Disneyland in Machias or something that people have no connection to. But we're going to restore these communities in these fisheries, and we can figure this out. That's been so important to me. I, I've always, you know, I've sort of glommed on to people like, like, like Robin, who had that really, and she also knew how to do it. That was the other really clear thing. She, she knew, I'm the kind of person who says, yeah, let's do that, and have no idea how you do it. She actually knew how you, how you don't, how you, you, you go about it. Um, and and, and, and I, I, just, I just spoke with her recently, and uh, she's been uh, retired for about a year now. And, and she said, you know, I, I described the trapeze, and she says, that, that's where I am. I have done the twist, and I'm ready to grab on it. And I want to write more, do some writing uh, about uh, coastal fisheries, fishermen, women. Um, I want to write. So I, she sees a future or, or the, the way forward. But, but again, I think... It, you gotta have, you gotta hit, not hit a wall, but you gotta come to places where, you know, Wendell Berry says we do our best thinking when we're really confused. <laughs> That's true. Mm. Or when you hit a wall and you need to you need, need to do some work. Mm -hmm. So, thank you, Robin. You've been one of the one of the great people I've known. And the other person that I, I think influenced you was the conversations with Dwayne Shaw, and you mentioned the Downey Salmon Federation, and the, and the, that led to a, a new kind of partnership. And, and I know that you, you've thought about that. You, you probably preached about it um, uh, from time to time as well. Um, yeah, it's just, it's, again, it's, it's this connection between rivers and the ocean and cleaning places up and respect for the land. And, you know, and again, just sort of getting to know him, I said, well, could our local kids do this? Get them away from screens? Sure they can. And so they go out and they, and, and so he has taught them the life cycles of all these things and they get involved and they see this, I can do this, this is valuable, this is important to me and it's something they do with their hands, it's a physical thing that's connected to their, their parents and their grandparents. Um, so all of those connections, um, and, and again, it's based on history. It's where we are now. It's a sense for the future. But these things are not cut off. So much in the world, everything is cut off. Like people don't have histories. Mm -hmm. um, that, that you know, we still live in a place that's a storied place. That's mm -hmm. that's really really valuable. Uh, uh, one of my great storied place stories. Story King, who is the engineer on the Sunbeam, um, worked with um, built wooden boats for a long time. Really knowledgeable and and. I was out on the sunbeam, and we were watching some fishing boats go by, and he sketched the keels of two kinds of boats. He said that there, there was a, 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 a Southwest Harbor construction keel, and there was a Jones port, and they were very different. And I said, sorry, you know, by, by water, that's not all that far, 20 or 30 miles. And he said, yeah, but, that, but they're different waters. And I was so impressed by that, that these fishermen, on their experience, could build a boat based on the waters that they were in, and they were different. Mm. That takes a huge amount of knowledge and skill. Um, I remember one of, the, one of the great boat builders here, um, that's a, he's a wooden boat builder, um, and he... <laughs> In, in a very public, large platform, he, he, he railed about fiberglass boats because you can't change them. He said, wooden boats, you know, you can adapt it and you can change. I love that. That's really smart. Mm -hmm. and, and again, it's, it's those kinds of discoveries. I have 
pictures of those keels that that story sketched out framed up on my wall in my office because that that's that's thinking mm. and it seems like that that's that um, that that's the key to the future of using that local knowledge of what makes our places special right. and adapting and changing as as we go right it's just not not everything is homogenous it's just not one size fits all and and then with our throwaway culture again the, the sense of preservation of being able to change and think and look and, and and, and uh, you know, just be able to sort of on your feet. Well, if we're going to be successful, we're going to have to make these these changes. Mm-hmm. And the boat's going to, the keel's going to have to be different. That's just so interesting to me. <laughs> well, Scott, um, this has been a wonderful hour. Thanks so much for being our guest here on Talk of the Towns. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure. Thank you. We've come to the end of the hour. Be sure and join us from 10 to 11 on the second Friday of each month for Talk of the Towns. Podcasts of our programs can be found in the archive section of the WERU website. If you've got comments or suggestions for topics, please email us at news at weru.org. And tune in for our companion program, Coastal Conversations with Natalie Springle of Humane Sea Grant, 10 to 11 on the fourth Friday of each month. Our theme music is a medley from Karanak on a Balmain House Highland music recording. Thanks again to our guest, uh, Scott Planting, for being with us on this recorded interview. Thanks to our underwriters. Thanks to Amy Brown for engineering our program. And stay tuned for On the Wing with Joel Raymond. This is Ron Beard, your host for Talk of the Towns, wishing you a good morning.